0: This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit RedemptionAZ.com. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed Because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. On the, next, on the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Ananias, the high priest, and Sapphias, and John, and Alexander, and all were in high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power, by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if, you are be- if, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what m- Means this man has been healed. Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, <clears throat> whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that has been rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, and there is no other name under heaven given among men by women which we must be saved. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were uneducated common men, and they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside him, they had nothing to say in opposition. And when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For what that notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in his name. So they called them in and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus but Peter and John answered them and said whether it is right in your sight or, or, or it, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God you must judge for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard and when they had further threatened them they let them go finding no way to punish them because of the people who were For all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. We're used to sitting in uh, kind of classroom settings, if you will. All of our education and all that kind of stuff is set up in in formats in which we we give Education. We want people to to hear and understand. And we think if they could grab a hold and understand something, then they'd be able to take that and they'll be able to apply that into their lives. And so what we end up doing inside of that system is we come into a room like this and we immerse, we we listen to the narrative of scripture, we listen to the stories of scripture, and what we try to do is, is take it and break it apart and dissect it into like kind of thoughts or pithy statements or education. In which we can learn something so that we may be able to maybe apply that into our lives. And the hard part of that is that um, as we approach texts like this, it makes it really difficult. Because in our minds, what we're thinking is, man, if we want these results, if we want people healed, or we want this, here's what we, we want to see happen, then we've got to learn something that we need to break apart and figure out rather than just hearing the story, the narrative of Scripture and immersing ourselves into this and understanding uh, uh, what is the power in which we see and th- what is the, 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 the beauty of these stories and to glean from this what is God wanting to do in our hearts and lives. What we try to do is kind of break it apart and put it into equations. Now, Scripture is a grand narrative in which we see the entirety of the story where Jesus is the star and, 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 and that he is, he is doing this beautiful and big work. And as we get caught up and immersed into this story, there are things that we can learn and there are things that we can apply. But we can't apply this kind of same idea of what we think about education into our realities of what we do in these times together, because there is more than just learning kind of little things that we can take notes on, and it's more than us just being smart or having a high education. What we see in, in approaching Scripture, especially as we're studying narrative, is that we're not trying to figure out how do we duplicate this. How do we do what is done? How do we heal the lame or stand in front of, uh, of, of authorities and preachers? How do we duplicate this? What we're trying to see is what is God doing, okay? And how is he working? What we have seen inside of all of Acts that we need to remember is that Acts is about the ministry of the resurrected Jesus. The ministry of the resurrected Jesus and the resurrection is not just an event that Jesus did that he rose from the grave, although he did rise. But that resurrection was an announcement that the resurrection is breaking into a world of death. That the resurrection of Jesus was going to bring about resurrection in his people. And they were going to experience life. And that it was a promise that there will be a day where the resurrection will be all that we see. That we will be fully resurrected and all things will be made new. And Jesus will be king over all. This was an announcement. And so why they were getting annoyed at this is because this was a proclamation of the resurrection of the dead. That all things were going to be made new. And this story, this, this Acts, is not about the early church church. It's not about the apostles. It's not about the superheroes. And what we can do is as we're reading these stories is make acts about these people rather than seeing that these people were a a sign of something greater. And that was that Jesus is still alive. And they would keep saying it. Over and over again, from the beginning, they they proclaim in Acts 1 that Jesus is alive, and as he's ascending, he's saying, wait, and I'm going to pour out my spirit upon you. He's done this work, and he promises he's going to come, and so they're waiting in the upper room, and the spirit is with them in the upper room. Listen, remember, Acts chapter 2 is not just where the spirit comes onto the scene. The spirit has been there, hovering, working amongst his people, and you see in Acts 1, what are they doing? They're dedicated to prayer, and study, and organizing, and getting things in order, and place and, and 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 studying scripture and listening and unity with one another and generosity they're dedicated to those things in acts chapter 1 and then in acts chapter 1 the spirit is poured out as he was promised The Spirit is poured out and spills out onto his people. And if you remember, the Spirit comes pouring out so much so that all these people start coming and these people spill out onto the streets and they're speaking in other languages and people come and they're trying to figure out what's happening and there's those who are amazed because they're hearing what? That Jesus is alive and the glorious work of the gospel being proclaimed in their own language. And what ends up happening is people are being saved, but there's those who are standing on the side who are going, these people are drunk. You remember that? But what do they do after that moment? Do they go, man, that was so powerful. We should try to do that. Let's go back in the upper room, kind of wait and wait for the spirit to come. No, no, no. What do they do? They go back to what they've always been doing. And these moments were not what they were trying to do. They went back to devoting themselves once again, just like they were already devoted to, to prayer, to fellowship, to teaching, to breaking of bread, to generosity, they were giving stuff away, and to unity. These were the things that they've always been devoted to, and they always stayed consistently going, this is what we are needing to be committed to doing. And what would happen is, in the midst of those people who were being saved, who were devoted to those things, Jesus would do miracles. Jesus would do miracles. And what would happen while they were doing miracles is those miracles would be done in ways that were undeniable. And those people who had been changed, transformed, who were dedicated to teaching and fellowship and breaking bread and prayer and unity, that God would use his apostles to witness to something. You see, a sign is meant to point to something else rather than itself. That's why it's a sign. You see something on a road, you don't go, let's stop. Let's have fun. This is, we're here. When you see a sign, it's pointing to something else. And what they would carefully do every time, and you've heard this, if you remember Peter's messages, they all sound the same. You're like, Peter, you need to go study a little bit more because you keep preaching the same message over and over again. And he keeps saying, Listen, these things that you are seeing, these signs that you are seeing, and he would be bold to say, listen, these signs are to say Jesus is alive and the resurrection is breaking in and that this day is coming where he will come and make all things new And every work of the Spirit and every miracle and every salvation and every time they gathered in homes and every time they united as saints and forgave one another and prayed with one another and they gave radically and every time they lived in these mundane things, God would do miracles and in those moments, these miracles, these signs and wonders would be an evidence to the world that Jesus breaking in now if you know anything about scripture that only lasts for a little while just a moment before you learn something from taylor swift now some of you may not know the prophet taylor swift but i just want you to just hear prophetically haters gonna hate 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 okay (laughs) thank you Who would have thought I would have quoted T. Swift today? You know what I'm saying? Haters going to hate, 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 hate. And you see this happening in Acts chapter 2. You see the moment that the Spirit is poured out upon them and they spill out into the streets, there are people who are astounded and people who are amazed And then there are people who are mocking, right? You see it in chapter 2. The immediate take place, they're going, they're drunk. (laughs) Ha-ha. Making fun of them. They're drunk. At first, here's what you have to understand. When something breaks out new that people can't make sense of, their immediate reaction is to make fun of it. That's what haters do. They're gonna make fun of it. Why? Because they're hoping, let's just make fun of it, and what's gonna happen is it's gonna die down, it's gonna go away, it's gonna, it's gonna take, it's not gonna stay, it's not gonna last. Well, then in chapter three, you see those same people being confused. The word there is astounded. Those people who were mocking are now astounded, and they're going, ah, they're just confused. They don't know what category to put this in in chapter three. They're trying to figure it out. Here's what happens when something is breaking in like this: those who are are trying, they just they got to they've got to understand it. So they're trying to understand it, but they're confused. They can't understand it, and that's where you see this kind of rise of mockery and and trying to grasp it and make fun of it and understand it. And then in chapter four is where you see this first kind of. Uh, surfacing of mockery and understanding when it starts the chapter in chapter 4 right after this dude's healed who's on the outside who's brought into the temple who's leaping and dancing and praising God and there's this outsider who they've passed over he's walking and, and what 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 do they do it says they're greatly annoyed greatly annoyed That mockery and that astounding because it's not going away, all of a sudden they're getting annoyed. Why? Well, the annoyance is not coming because there's so many miracles and so many signs and wonders. They're not annoyed by the signs and the miracles and the healings. They're annoyed by what those signs are pointing to, and that is that Jesus is still alive, and they're annoyed that they can't kill him. So no matter how many times they tried to shut him up, he wouldn't shut up. No matter how many times they tried to put him off into the margins and persecute him and get him away and run him out of town, he could, they couldn't get rid of him. And no matter how many times they tried to persecute him and kill him and put him on the cross, he gets up he comes back, he fellowships with his people, he ascends, and now he puts his spirit, and every time these people do something, they go, Jesus is still alive, you killed him, but he's back. Here's the power of the gospel, church. This is, this is the beauty of what We believe that when we make Jesus just an educational system where we go, let's look at Jesus as a historical figure, let's break him down, let's study his life, let's look at these things, and we keep Jesus in history, what ends up happening is he becomes somebody we could admire. But the beauty of the gospel is not just that Jesus is a historical figure, but this Jesus is alive and at work and active today and moving by his spirit amongst his people. Jesus is not just the Jesus of history. He is here and alive and at work. Jesus is alive. And when we see this and when we know this, people are annoyed and threatened. Because when we announce that Jesus is alive, here's what we are announcing. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is King and when we declare that, we're saying, submit, repent, turn from following your own self and doing your own thing. Turn from seeking after comfort in your own, and your own idols. Turn from all other gods and submit your life to Jesus. And they're going, uh, kill him. So it goes from mockery to confusion to being annoyed and then at the end of the chapter it goes to them threatening them listen shut up or it's going to get really bad for you that's what uh, we're not going to do anything to you right now but just so you know it's coming you keep going down this path there's a world of hurt coming And what you're going to see throughout Acts, and even as Pastor Wayne dives into chapter 4 next week, is what they start to pray is not, oh, Lord, let us be comfortable. They're saying, let us be more bold. You're going to see it. They're going to be more bold, and more persecution is going to come throughout Acts. Listen, when we live in this way, it's going to move from us just being made fun of. Listen, we just get so, we're so fragile, right? We think if we get made fun of, that's persecution, right? That's just the beginning, What happens in the face of this kind of swelling hatred? Here's what you see take place, and I hope that we can glean from this. The church, the apostles, would always boldly point back to the resurrection of Jesus. Always boldly point back to the resurrection of Jesus. If you could write down Luke chapter 12, verses 4 through 12, I would encourage you to go study this, because here's what I want you to remember. These things that are happening are not coming as a surprise. They're still hard, but they're not coming as a surprise. I think often we get so surprised that we start facing things when the reality is we've been promised we will face those things. We get shocked when people hate us. We get upset. We're surprised. I don't understand why people don't like me. When Jesus. Brought his disciples. You see it in Acts, in Luke chapter twelve, verses four through twelve. If you if you see this, I just want to remind you that this, the the uh, the Pharisees. This is at the height of their popularity there. If you look at through through this this text, he's warning them. Listen, don't have fear. This is this is a big warning that Jesus gives. Don't have fear. And you can look at this at four through four through um, seven. We don't have time for that, but, but to look at that. But he says, don't have fear. Don't scare those who can. Don't be scared of those who can just kill their body your body, because that's all they can do. They can only take your body. If you're going to be scared of anything, fear the one who not only can take your body, but your soul and separates you from Father eternally. Then he says, listen, don't fear. But then he says, look at verse 8. Look at this. And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man also will acknowledge before angels of God. But those who deny me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But the one who blasphemes the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And when they bring you before synagogues, there it is. You, you, you think this is... When you're standing before synagogues, here they are. When you're before rulers in authority, they're there. Don't be anxious, don't defend yourselves. Or don't worry about what you're going to say. Look at verse 12. What happens? For the Holy Spirit will come and teach you what to say in that very hour. The Holy Spirit's going to show you exactly what to say. So they're standing in this place where they are being persecuted by the very ones Jesus saying. They're going to question you. They're going to bring you before courts. They're going to put you in front of rulers. They're going to try to shut you up. But in those moments, don't even try to plan it. Don't try to prepare for it. Just know when you get there, I'm going to pour out my spirit upon you, and you're going to know exactly what you need to say in those moments. And I'm going to speak through you. And then Peter begins to declare something boldly. And I want you to notice this, Peter in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 14 through 16, you can write this down. He carries on this same command that Jesus gave to his disciples. Here's Peter now giving to the church. He says the very same thing. He says, But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them. There's that, have no fear. Don't be troubled, don't be scurred, don't trip. But in your hearts, honor Christ, the Lord, as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason of the hope that is in you. But do it with gentleness and respect. Notice that boldness in the kingdom looks different than boldness in the world. Do it with gentleness and having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile you for good behavior, they will be the ones who are put to shame. Notice this, Peter is in this moment, He's filled with the Spirit. He declares, but he also gives this same instruction and passes it on to the church. Listen, don't be scared. Don't be filled with fear. You will be in moments where your life will be put to question. The things that you're doing that are good, for good behavior, you're healing people. People's lives are being changed. This is not just you doing stupid things, right? This is you living a righteous life. Your righteousness will be put on display, and people are going to not like that, and they're going to ask you, they're going to ask you where does this come from? And here's what he said, don't be scared. Those are the moments in which you need to share of the hope that you have in Christ. That Jesus is still alive, that he's coming and the resurrection is true, and that my life is an evidence that the resurrected Savior is breaking into death. Here's the, here's the interesting thing. People in churches have for a long time put on evangelistic classes to try to teach people how to share the gospel. So what they do is they're like let's get in a classroom and here's what we'll do we'll teach apologetics and all these kinds of things to try to teach you how to out argue, how to out debate, how to how how to get your stuff together. And then here's what you need to do, you need to go out on the streets and you need to stand on the corner and you need to start conversations with people and you need to tell them uh, get these conversations going, ask them questions and then trap them in their words and then when they flip up on themselves start Pounding them. Can can I just say how opposite that is to the commands of Scripture? Because Scripture gives us a complete different idea of what evangelism looks like. It actually says that our lives should be a sign of the resurrection breaking in. And when your life is a sign of the resurrection breaking in... You don't have to go ask people questions. They're going to start asking you questions. They're going to say, "Uh, So uh, you're single, um, but you don't look desperate. Why? You don't like men? You don't like women? What is it? And the interesting thing is, they ask you this question and our immediate answer is, well, you know, I'm just going after my career. I'm doing this, I'm doing that. just don't have time for a relationship. We start pointing to ourselves as the source of our hope. Rather than saying, oh, I am fully satisfied because the resurrected Savior has given me a greater joy in and of himself. That this relationship that I have within him has completely satisfied every longing and desire of my heart. And in times where I have lonely, and you have the opportunity, they're asking you of what is your hope. Uh, what, about, what about the time somebody comes and goes, oh, well, why is your marriage seem like you kind of like each other? I can't stand mine, you know. Trying to get out of this thing. What's, what's the secret sauce? What are you putting on that thing? You know what I mean? What's the sauce? What, what are you going after here? And then you go, Well, you know, we've just always been BFFs. We text each other every day. We go on dates all the time. We just really love each other. You know, we've worked really hard at it. And in the midst of it, you're pointing to yourself as your own salvation for your marriage. They're asking. And you're pointing to yourself. Instead of saying, well... The only reason I understand covenant is because Christ has come and loved me when I was broken and far off. Matter of fact, I cheated on him, and he still kept his covenant with me. Matter of fact, I was running on him, and he wouldn't give up on me. And, I, and, and he brought me back in, and this Christ has brought me into and shown me how to love somebody who's broken. And, and, I, and listen, I don't just tolerate them. I actually know so much junk about them, and I still love them like Christ loves me. Somebody comes up and says, man, you're, you're at work, and uh, it looks like you ain't complaining like everybody else. You work hard. You're here. You do it with joy. I know this ain't something you want to do for the rest of your life, but it seems like you're really giving yourself fully to it. What is it about your work habits, how you do that? And you go, well, my dad always taught me, you know, work hard, put your time in, rather than showing that it is the Spirit that gives us this very strength and help to do very mundane things, not just for a boss or for an employee, but I'm doing it for a resurrected Savior who is actually looking over all of my work. And He is alive, and I, I work as unto His His glory. I I, I, I hey why why uh, how did you get off drugs? How why are you not addicted any longer? I, I I saw you were addicted to drugs, and 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 I know that that struggle is real. Or I saw you were an alcoholic. How all of a sudden do you? Well, you know, I went to this program, and I went through this, and I did this, and I, I mean, come on, come on. Jesus is alive conquered sin and death, and you have an opportunity to talk about the forgiveness that you received even before that work. Yes, there are things that we do. Yes, there are things that God uses. But the reality is, stop pointing to the mean. Start, stop pointing to the methods. When you have the very one who deserves glory, you have been given opportunities. There's example after example of times that we've been healed from sicknesses, or times that we've been, and given glory to doctors and hospitals rather than a resurrected Savior. There are opportunities where our lives have been changed, our families have been changed. Our hope is in Christ and then saying listen those things are signs of something greater and we're going around going man I really need to learn I really need to learn how to share my faith and kind of start those conversations when the reality is Jesus told his disciples when you're in those moments you're going to know what to say don't deny me before men or you'll be denied before my father in heaven those moments are being presented before us. There's only two options here, right? One is nobody's asking us because they can't see the resurrection in us. We look like death. Or two is we're cowards. And we're being presented with opportunities to be bold and we're afraid they're going to make fun of us. We're going to be afraid they think how we think or... We're going to be those fanatics. and Listen, often we miss opportunities to boldly proclaim the resurrection of Jesus because we think that the gospel message is like me standing up here and doing this. And you're like, well, I'm never going to do the pulpit kind of stuff. But the reality is if you look at the lengths of Peter's messages, they're far less than mine, right? I mean, he said in just about two sentences Uh, Real quick, here's what he says. What is the gospel? He breaks it down so quick. He goes, look, notice what he starts with. Filled with the spirit, he says to them, rulers and people of the elders, if you are being examined today, if we're being examined today concerning the good deed done to a crippled man, isn't it interesting that he just calls it a good deed? We would call it a sign, wonder, and miracle. We're like, look at this. He's just going, this is normal. This is just a good deed, right? It's just something we do. It's a church. Lay hands on people, they're healed, right? This good deed, if you're examining us for this, here's what he says. Rulers of people, if you're being in the, Then he points to this. Jesus, filled with the Spirit, he says, look, let me know. Uh, let, I want to let you know. And all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified. So what does he do? Jesus came. Here's this. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is God. So here's what the gospel is. It's declaring that Jesus is God. He is the Messiah. He wasn't just a man who came to this earth. He wasn't just a good teacher. He is God. Jesus came. God sent his son and you killed him. That's rebellion. That is this thing of not just me uh, not just me not liking him or making fun of him, but me uh, rebelling against him and because of my sin, because of the sin of the world we rejected this God of the world as he came. We rebelled against God and even in our rebellion God raised him from the dead. God defeated death, hell and the grave and raised Jesus from the dead. Death and hell is defeat Sin is defeated. And Jesus is the only way to salvation. The only way you are going to experience any sort of salvation is through the work of Jesus. And that message calls us to a response. The only way is through repentance and belief. Turn from all other kingdoms and put your faith in Jesus. This is hard for us, church. Because the values of the world are opposite to the values of the kingdom repentance is difficult because we're turning from all the values, all the things in this world, and we're putting our faith and trust. And even last week you could see that as Pastor Wayne was saying, even the poor and the sick who sit on the outside, the lame who sits at the gate, beautiful, he's sitting on the outside, and he comes and he's asking for money, thinking money is going to bring him status and provision and health. And the apostles say, hey listen, look at me in the eyes. Silver and gold have I none, but what I have give to you in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up. They grab them by the hand. There's that value that's being instilled. They're saying it's not in money, it's in Jesus. And they raise this lame man and they bring him in and this lame man who is still the topic of conversation here gets brought in. And what does that declare? That in the kingdom of God the poor, the sick, the marginalized, those who are on the outside of the world, they're the ones who are used to be a display. See, in the world it's the rich, the powerful, and those who are preferred, those are the ones who want, everybody wants to be. Those are the ones, it's money, it's wealth, it's power. It's those things that everybody's after. And they're saying, no, be poor in spirit. Those who are on the outside. So we, it's hard for us to understand. This week you see that it's not just the poor in spirit. What do they see? After this powerful message, they look at these disciples and they go, I can see they're uneducated men and common. But that they've been with Jesus. That's crazy. Why? Because in the world, it's those who are smarter than everybody else and more special. If you're not smarter, you're, you're more special. You're talented. Those who have education and those who have talent are the top of the pack. And they look at these guys and go, listen, uh, this is crazy because they are uneducated and common. They have zero talent and they have uh, no education. The kingdom of God flips everything upside down. And, and, and in these disciples, there's this reality. Most of us want to be known by our smarts and our power and not by our relationship to Christ. We want to outsmart, outtalk, outarticulate, or outplay, outperform the idea of being unedged, un, no, being known as uneducated and common to us is like a curse. But Jesus chooses those who are common and normal and displays His power. And the only thing they could point to was saying, "I could tell they've been with Jesus." We ain't going to be able to stop them, so let's pull them aside and let's threaten them. Let's tell them to just stop saying it. You can keep doing your good deeds, but just stop pointing to the resurrected say. They said, listen, you can determine whether or not you think it's right or not, but you can't stop us from telling who did this in us. You can't shut us up. And they could not argue or could not do what they wanted to do. Why? Because there's a 40-year-old guy Standing right next to him, Scripture says, who was lame since birth. They all saw him at the gate. They all saw him lame and mar. They all saw him and they couldn't do anything because here's the reality. You can't argue with changed lives. Oh, You can argue, you can do theological discussions on what this happens and what this word means. You can do arguments about uh, you know, whether this is true or this is true. You can go and debate in classrooms. You can do all that kind of stuff. But you cannot deny when somebody you've seen broken and, 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 and in death who's come back to life because of the work of Christ, you cannot argue with lives changed. Miracles that are done through the good deeds of God's people are opportunities for us to boldly proclaim. That's why when we say, church, it's not just about deeds and it's not just about words. It's word and deed that the words that we proclaim are a proclamation of the resurrection being brought in. It's the sign. When someone's trying to read the sign, what does that sign say? Oh, I'll tell you. Jesus is alive. That's what it says. And he's still seated on the throne and he's still at work. And I don't like what you said there, but I can't argue because I haven't seen people Of all nations, tribes, and tongues, and backgrounds, and ages sit in a room together, enjoy one another, hang out together, fellowship together. I haven't seen people from different backgrounds and styles and lives come together and be united. I haven't seen people empty their pockets and and, and be generous. I haven't seen people living, I haven't seen this power and these miracles coming through. I haven't seen people's lives. I haven't seen, I, I can't argue with what I see. But can you just stop saying it's Jesus? There's two people in this room today. One, I'm calling to repentance this morning, us, the church. Can I just tell you, we have so many miracles that are being done in this church. I wish we could just recount the miracles that are being done in this church. Miracle after miracle, marriages, single men and women who are experiencing life in Christ and unity. Reconciliation of races and ages and people and families are coming together. And and yes, it's hard and broken and there's things that happen in those. People who've literally been addicted and now are free from those addictions and walking in the power of the Spirit. People who are are, are seeing God's Spirit work through their lives in ways and and, and at work and they're they're seeing their their workplaces, so many things that we could talk about. And, and, and I'm not saying we should stop doing those deeds, but I will say this. We need to pray that the Spirit will give us boldness because those deeds should give us great opportunities to point to Jesus. Don't pass up those opportunities. I don't even think y'all need to go out and look for it. I think it's funny when people, I I personally think it's funny that people say, Lord, give me an opportunity to share my faith today. I just think we don't need more opportunities. We just need to utilize the ones we got. We need to start talking when it comes, because I'm telling you, we got questions coming at us. Just even as a church, I I can't tell you how many times people come to me and go, how do you have so many different races? I mean, you may not get, they come to me because they want it but they don't, how do you have so many races and ages, and and, and why why do the poor come and worship with you? you? How do you do that? I go, listen, Jesus is alive, and barriers are broken, and people of all backgrounds, and races, and tribes can live in unity because of the work of Christ, and if that is true, that means we need to start dying to ourselves. We need to start loving others. It's an opportunity to share the gospel. For us in this room who are followers of Christ, we need to come to this table today and fellowship with, and ask, God, fill me with your spirit. Give me boldness to be a sign and to be a bold proclamation. And then there's others in this room who are still trying to save yourself. And you're seeing people's lives changed and your marriage is broken and your life is falling apart and there's things all around you're feeling desperate and empty and you all you want to ask is, how do I get what you have And you're trying to find somebody who will give you advice and a set of rules rather than a relationship with Christ. And I'm here to tell you today, repent of trying to find salvation in any other person. If you see anything good in us, it's not because we've done it. It's because Jesus is alive and seated on the throne of our hearts. And let today be the day of salvation. Today be the day you stop running to other things and put your faith in Jesus and trust him as the Lord of your life. Father, I thank you for your spirit. I thank you for your help. I thank you for your power to save. I thank you for the change you've done. Make us bold. Let us repent and believe. But let us come to the table hungry and thirsty. In Jesus' name.